0: You are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends.
1: I'm Carrie and I bring the practical buzzkill vibe to this partnership.
0: And I'm Amy. I tend to be upbeat and social, and some people say that I can be a little bit over the top with my enthusiasm.
1: True, true. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics, such as stuff we've had to Google while reading, new titles on our TBR lists, film adaptations
0: that we've seen, and bookish news. At the end of the shows, you'll have new books to
1: put on your nightstand and a laugh or two along the way. This week, we're chatting with Ligia de Peñaflor, the author of several YA novels, her most recent being Creep, A Love Story.
0: If you've listened to the radio or any kind of streaming service, you've most certainly heard Radiohead's song Creep. And it was this song that partly inspired Lydia's story. We chat with Lydia about obsession among the young adult crowd and how her work as a teacher of child stars on television and movie sets such as Gossip Girl and Boardwalk Empire helped her see that she could live out her dreams of being an
1: author. Creep, A Love Story is a Junior Library Guild gold standard selection, and Publishers Weekly called it spine-chillingly disturbing. But first... I have something to report. Yes. We did an
0: episode about... Well, it was inspired by the Oscars, the upcoming Oscars, right? And I had said that I hadn't seen any of the Oscar nominees, and now I can say I have. I saw The Banshees of Innershin starring Colin the Farrell. The
1: Banshees. The Bans- Banshees?
0: Banshees. Sorry. <laughs> Banshees. What am I saying? I don't know. The okay. Banshees of Innershin. Amy here. Apparently, I am having trouble pronouncing this movie all the way around. It should be The Banshees of Innershin starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. I believe mm-hmm. uh, the set in Ireland and it was not at all what I thought it was going to be. It takes some very drastic turns that movie does, uh, but I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it. Did you cry? No, no, yeah. I didn't. Okay. I didn't cry. I didn't cry, but later, you know, it's funny. Cause when I was watching it, I thought, you know, some of these places <laughs> look kind of familiar. You know, we went to Ireland last October But I didn't think too much of it because, you know, there's lots of rocky shore in Ireland, wherever you go on the coast. But when I was reading about it later, actually, they filmed it on – I'm not sure I'm saying it right. I think it's Akeel. It's A-C-H-I-L-L Island Mm -hmm. off of the western coast of Ireland on Keem Beach. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I actually went there. Cool. And I mean, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. It was something that we saw briefly, like as an aside and a travel guide. Uh, and it happened to be a rainy day and there was nothing like outside that we wanted to do because it was kind of nasty. So we drove out onto this very remote island and there was more sheep than people out there. That sounds and- about right. <laughs> It was it so was crazy to me that that's where they uh that they had filmed it but yeah. that
1: explained why why some of the scenery looked so familiar. Well, and and the other part of it was filmed on the Aran Islands and I had visited there in college. So, one of the panoramic views from the film I had a picture of that exact spot which was pretty cool. I Had to wow. dig dig back in the photographic archives to find that. So, <laughs>
0: You and I also have been watching a show on Apple Plus. I mean, I think I started watching it before you. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard about it from me or just from social media or something, but it's a show called Shrinking, which I adore. It's pretty uh, good. Yeah. 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 It stars Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford, and they play therapists.
1: And don't forget, it also stars Ted McGinley. See, this is what I spend every show or movie doing. I watch it and I go, I've seen that person before. Where have I seen that person? And sometimes I know where I've seen that person. So for example, the actor who plays Liz. Yes, i have seen her. She's from Scrubs. She was on Scrubs and she was on the Drew Carey show. Oh, I never saw the Drew Carey show. so. So she was on both of those. But Ted McGinley used to be on the Love Boat. Yeah. And he was also on Married with Children. So he has a long, very long history in television and movies and stuff like that. So um, I was very happy to see him. Yes.
0: It's about a practice of therapists. And one of them, Jason Siegel, uh, has had sort of a rough time. His wife died in a car accident the year before, and he's gone off the deep end a little bit. He, he kind of feels like lost in his job, that he's not really helping anybody. And he really just wants to tell all of his patients what he really thinks instead of, you know, the old letting them figure it out. He just wants to tell them what they should do, which is not really what you're supposed to do as a therapist. And so he decides to try some uh, more experimental therapy ideas. But it's a comedy. It's about 30 minutes. I think Harrison Ford is awesome in this role as a crotchety old therapist. But yeah, that's a that's a throwback to the eighties. Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. you know, with Indiana Jones and then Ted McKinley with the Love Boat and other various uh shows. And,
1: yeah. Yeah. And for me it's it's kind of a nice reminder that, you know, therapists and they're human and sometimes they have as many problems if not more problems than the people they're offering therapy to. <laughs> True. Sometimes, yeah. I think sometimes we put, you know, people on a pedestal as if, you know, well, they're so smart, they help us figure things out. Well, sometimes they don't really apply those, those same things that they tell people in their own lives. And I've actually heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've actually heard that sometimes the people who are most messed up are drawn to, to go into that field, because they're looking, you know, for answers to their own issues. I don't know but, if that's true, but uh,
0: no comment on that. But I will say <laughs> if that subject matter interests you, there was a book I read several years ago that I loved. It was a memoir by a therapist. Uh, her name's Lori Gottlieb, but it was called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And it's basically about how she had a, went through a really bad breakup and was having trouble moving forward and getting over it. And so she finally decided to go see a therapist. So it's about this therapist seeing a therapist and also about some of the patients that she was a
1: therapist for. Anyway, it was was pretty interesting. I think everybody should talk to a therapist, at least at some point in their lives. Agreed. So I actually think
0: that the main character, Rafi and Ligia's uh, book could see a therapist.
1: She, yes, yes. A therapist needs to be called stat for her.
0: So why don't we uh, talk with Ligia?
1: We're very excited to have Ligia de Peñaflor with us. She's calling in from New York area, Long Island. So thanks, Ligia, for joining us. Hi, Amy and Carrie. Carrie has finished your book. I am about
0: halfway through and it's starting to get really good. Your book, Creep, A Love Story, is definitely getting kind of creepy in the part that I'm in. Um, You are the (laughs) author of three novels. Um, This is your latest one. It's a YA novel. But you also teach children on television and movie sets. In fact, right before we started recording, I was talking to you a little bit about that and it sounds like it's fascinating. So, how has this experience influenced the topics that you choose to write about?
2: Yeah, I am a school teacher for child actors. Some people don't really quite understand what that is. Some people assume that I teach acting, but I don't. I'm the school teacher because child stars can't go to school since they're working on set. So, I am their teacher. It's influenced my writing a lot actually the three of my books have a celebrity element to them my debut novel is called unscripted joss bird and it is actually about a child star who is struggling with challenges of being dyslexic and having to act a very adult script on a movie location in montauk And my second novel is called All of This is True, and that's about four teenagers who idolize a 20-something author, and they befriend her, only to find out that she writes about all of their secrets in her next novel, and she kind of blows up their lives. And Creep is about a beautiful couple, the cutest couple at Holy Family High School, and they become the object of obsession for a sophomore named Raffi, And that's sort of celebrity in the sense that this couple is so popular that they're like the celebrities of the school. So all of my books have that little element of looking up to people and not really knowing who they truly are, but that little bit of celebrity to it.
1: Well, I have to ask, how did you become a teacher on movie sets. How how does that happen?
2: Well, you have to be a certified teacher. So I'm I'm a school teacher. Uh, I used to teach public school here on Long Island and I have two New York State teaching certifications. So I can teach elementary school and secondary English, which helps a lot to find work in Hollywood because then I can teach kids of all ages
1: do you ever have to travel to movie sets or do you primarily stay in the New York area? I can travel if I want, but there's a lot of
2: work here in New York in the tri-state area. We have all the,
1: you know, all the crime
2: dramas and so many movies film here.
1: It's so fascinating. When we were researching you and looked you up, I was like, oh, that is so cool. That just sounds really interesting, so...
2: Yeah, well, I was a teacher on Gossip Girl for the duration. I also taught on Boardwalk Empire, the HBO show. My last huge movie was Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Oh, wow. So that was, uh, yeah, that was something. That was pretty cool. I would guess as somebody
0: who is a writer, and I assume that you're always gleaning little scenes or little things that you see into the back of your head, you know, for like, Oh, that might work in a book someday. I bet you get all kinds of those things working in the job that you're doing because I would think there's just so many crazy things (laughs) that probably happen
2: on movie and TV sets. For sure. But I think the biggest thing that influences me is that I'm surrounded constantly with people who are doing the dream. Mm. They're writing scripts. They're having their movies produced. I teach kids who are 10 years old who've been nominated or who've won awards. I'm teaching 15-year-olds who have a body of work of like 20 films. So why not me? Mm. I always have that influence of sitting at a table with directors and writers, producers, actors who are just all doing what they want to do. So it inspired me to write the books that I want to write. And I realized that, Hey, if they can do what they're doing, I can too. And on, honestly, I never felt that they were extraordinary people. When you're just sitting at lunch, eating and talking about regular life things, everybody's just a dude.
1: Yeah. He's
2: just a guy. She's just a, a woman and we're all just real people and i never felt that there was anything super genius or extraordinary about most of the people that i worked with mm-hmm. and i realized well <laughs> then i can write my book and get it published and do what i want to do too
1: well let's talk about creep a love story which is your most recent novel you know you were just saying how you're inspired you get a lot of your ideas from from the work you do on television and movie sets but From what I understand, this particular novel got some of its inspiration from the Radiohead song "Creep." So, talk to us a little bit about how that song influenced you.
2: There are two things that inspired this book. When I was in high school, I had a boyfriend, and I was standing at my locker one day, and this girl came up to me, and she she just looked at me and said, "You have the cutest boyfriend." I was like, "Oh." okay, thank you. And I just like turned away, closed my locker and walked away because she gave me the creeps. (laughs) (laughs) And so she is actually the protagonist of this novel. She just became that person to me. And every time I heard the Radiohead song, Creep, I would remember that incident. Mm. And it made me think about these characters it made me think about Rafi and the couple, Lainey and Nico, who I fictionalized in my head, and their story and their love and what might have happened to them. And so, yeah, that the song by Radiohead always brought me back to that moment. Mm. And so it reminded me that, oh, this is something that's in your memory for some reason, and maybe you should do something with it. So over many, many years, it just morphed and I would see scenes in my head and it grew into this book.
1: Obsession is is a topic that's in a lot of novels, but it seems to me like obsession in terms of teens and young adults is especially important. And I say that as someone who I had a, a boyfriend, and I think a lot of women have experienced this, that... Are stalked in some capacity. A boyfriend, I broke up with him. He was not happy about that. And he followed me on campus and I had to hide, you know, like in a chemistry lab, a friend of mine hid me until he left. And so what were you thinking about in terms of obsession as the writer of this?
2: Well, I never go into a book with messages in mind. I just wanted to tell the story. Mm -hmm. But I do hope people get that this is a unique story about obsession because, first of all, it's not a man who's obsessed with a girl uh-huh. or a boy obsessed with a girl. Or on the other side, sometimes it's the woman obsessed with a married man or a man and his wife and his family. But this is very different because it's a girl and she becomes obsessed with a couple, with two people. And uh, well, I know I've never seen that story before,, mm-hmm. and so I hope that people feel that this is unique and that it's not something that they've come across. Her obsession comes from a different place than others that we've seen. It's not just that she's a sociopath and
1: mm.
2: is looking to hurt people. That's really not where she comes from,
1: yeah, I mean she definitely is uh, rafi is a is a creepy character. And she does things that sometimes I just want to put my head in my hands. You know, like, why are you doing that? But but you feel feel sorry for her. You know, like, when you learn more about her background, you do. You feel like Mm -hmm. you just want to hug her, I think.
2: Well, thank you for that. Because I wanted her to be a three-dimensional person and not a typical villain. Mm -hmm. She's a whole person to me. She has a family and a background and her own emotions and motivations. And she just sees this couple, they walk into the office where she works in the mornings and they make an impact on her because they're gorgeous and they're sweet and they're in love and she admires that. And she becomes the yearbook photographer so that she can go to all the senior events and see them and be around them. She just wants this proximity to love and to whatever beautiful thing that they have.
1: Well, and I think the book, too, with those characters, I think sometimes the, the popular, the beautiful people get villainized, too. You know, like they're they're perfect and yeah. they can be kind of jerks, you know, <laughs> but they're very much real people with real feelings. And, and it's not like their lives are completely perfect and wonderful all the time. So I feel like it it does kind of show a full picture of what people's experiences are, especially teenage experiences.
2: Uh, Well, I wanted Lainey and Nico to be good people and admirable because they're all, you're right, there is that stereotypical popular kids or the mean kids all the time. But I didn't want that for Lainey and Nico. Mm -hmm. If she's going to admire them, I want them to be worthy of that. Well, one of
0: the things I'd like about your novel is that I think everybody can relate, who's ever been to high school, everybody can relate to there being a golden couple. You know, I don't think that there's a a high school that doesn't have, you know, there's the in group, the most popular. And I think everyone can relate to that, whether you were on the inside of that or whether you're on the outside of that looking in. So that's definitely relatable to almost any reader, I would think.
2: Oh, I would hope so. Thank you. Yeah, when I thought about the story and the girl that it came from originally, back in my high school days, I would imagine like who I was to her through Mm -hmm. her eyes you know, my imagination got away from me. So <laughs> it became all of this. So I've seen that on social media th- that you've
0: said that the idea of writing this book scared you. So can you talk about that a little bit? What
2: scared you about it? About it? I think anytime you write something that's bent and dark, <laughs> you realize that those are your own thoughts. And maybe you wonder, well, I wondered what people are going to think about it. mm. At the same time, it was, it's a book that I thought about for so long, since I was 17, that I had such a clear vision about what I wanted it to be, that if I started writing it, I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to pull that off.
0: Are you at all you know, in that perfectionist personality type? I, I can be this sometimes, where if I think that I can't do something up to my own personal standards, then I don't want to do it at all. But then that means that, there's lots of things in life that maybe I haven't done that I would have enjoyed or would have succeeded at just because I I was afraid to try.
2: Right, I was that way with this book. I'm not always. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I, I will try. I like to try things and just have fun. But I wanted to get this right. Did
0: you feel that way about your other two books, the first two that you wrote? Um,
2: I think I was looser as far as the wording for several reasons for creep each word was so important to me and I wanted to make sure I got each one right like like they were deliberate choices and they had to sound a certain way and feel a certain way in order to convey the story properly so I just wanted to get everything with no regrets (laughs) I guess
0: Do you think you waited for this to be your third novel because you wanted to practice with the other two? So Because you had such a desire to get this one right. And, you know, not that debut novels can't be right, but, you know, you're still, it's your first one. You
2: know, you're you're still learning the craft. I don't think I was ready to write it for whatever reason, but it was time, meaning it was marinated enough in my mind that I had it ready. I'm not a writer who just sits down at a blank page and can just make things up on the fly. I need to plan out in my head. And so this book was pretty much fully formed in my imagination, but I was ready to tackle it. And that takes however long it takes. So it wasn't planned as far as, oh, I'll write a couple first and then I'll do it. It just was the right time for this story to come out.
1: Well, I will say I prefer books that are a little bent, so... (laughs) <laughs> no, no judgment from me at least. I like those. I think it's more interesting the things that people don't want to admit to. And Oh, for sure. You know, and so I kind of like a story like this where it's it is a little bent, but a- again, it's relatable. You know, I mean it it's not yeah. it's not something that people haven't experienced in some capacity that they they can't feel like they, you know, like, "Oh, well that's never happened to me," you know. Right.
2: Yeah, and I wanted it to be realistic. And I know that some people are like, oh, this doesn't go far enough. And it's not quite like you, you know, the book and the show that it's been compared mm-hmm. to. But that's purposeful. I didn't want It's not murdery. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's psychological. <laughs> because I wanted it to be real. I wanted to feel like, oh, I could possibly be this girl. Or yeah. I could know someone in my class who is this girl.
1: Right. Or, oh, because crap, I was that time. person. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Or this could be happening to me. I think somebody's watching me. I wanted it to feel plausible. Mm-hmm. I didn't want this to be, oh, it's like a very lifetime movie at, at um, 57 minutes. Or at 48 minutes, there's a murder. At 57 right. minutes, we've sold it. You know, it's not a formula in the traditional thriller novel. So
0: let's talk just a little bit about your origins as a writer. I think you have a pretty cool story about how you got started writing. Can you can you tell us about it?
2: Yeah, I am a writer because I started writing letters to a friend that I met when I was 14. When I was 14, I went on a cruise vacation with my family and all the teenagers on the cruise became friends. And the one girl that I met there became my best friend. And we grew up writing letters to each other. And I realized, wow, I just, I love doing this. It became like the most important thing to me to write to her and receive her letters. And I I felt like a writer through that. And I felt like I learned how to do it through letters.
0: So I don't really know how old you are, but was writing letters like a pen pal, like literally paper and pen, was that still the way that people... Communicated when you were at 14, or is this something no, sort of unusual?
2: No, it was, it was, but it was not unusual that we kept doing it because everyone was back then saying, Oh, we should keep in touch, mm. but you never really did. Um, right. but I did, so we grew up together doing that. Is she a writer too? She is an editor producer, <laughs> <I'm
0: laughs> so so is like- isn't that yeah.
2: funny? Yeah, and we used to daydream and talk about how we would go to NYU and we would live in a loft together and be writers.
0: <laughs> so the letters that you were writing, were they just what was going on in your day-to-day life or were they like a little bit more creative? I'm just curious like what kind of things were you writing back and forth to one another?
2: It was really just about our lives. The people where we were meeting and the activities we were doing and A lot of it was about TV shows and movies that we were watching. It's this time capsule now that when I look back at those letters, and they're really precious and gorgeous.
0: It was almost like a journal or a diary, but to another person.
2: Yeah. And I think it was the best school of writing that I ever had. I recognize why, too. After writing novels and being published, I know why that was so important. I learned that if you pick one person... To write your book to it really pinpoints the exact voice that you want hmm. because you know like when you your phone rings and you see who it is, you code switch your voice mm-hmm. even yeah, not um, consciously, you switch your voice for who who's calling you. If it's your mom, you talk to her in one way, if it's your best friend, you talk to her a, a different way or a colleague. And then it changes what story you tell, how you tell the story, how much you reveal, the words that you use. So your voice becomes exact if you pick a certain person that you want to talk to. And if you write a novel that way, it, it changes everything.
0: I love that. I tinker around with some creative writing, and that is a really good tip that I don't think I've ever heard anybody else say. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah, and if I, I learned that because when you write a letter it's to dear so and so. It's that specific person and it's the only the story that you would say to that person in that exact way. It with those exact words. If you were to change that person, it would be a completely different story.
0: Well, I'm I wondering so I know you said you didn't want Rafi to seem necessarily like a villain. Um, but this book is a little creepy. So I'm wondering, you obviously like to watch TV and movies and you work in that kind of world uh, too. So is there a type of villain that you really enjoy in a novel or in a movie? Or maybe there's a character in a novel that you love to hate.
2: Do you know Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada? Oh, yes. She's a perfect villain. <laughs> I love her. I mean, she's not a murderer either, but...
0: Yeah, you could be a villain and not be a murderer.
2: Yeah, she's a villain of that story. She's intimidating and she's scary, but she has so many admirable qualities that Mm. make people want to be her and be like her. So Mm. I think she's so well-written. And there's so much to learn from her also as a writer because, you know, the part where she talks about she's getting divorced again. (laughs) And she's telling Andrea that she should only reserve a table for one because he's not coming anymore. We're getting divorced again. But she has no makeup in that scene and she's a little bit more frazzled than she ever is. And you see that other side of her. So she's a little bit more
0: that. vulnerable in that moment.
2: Right. And so as a writer, you could learn a lot about that through that because she becomes humanized and you realize oh she's a real person and maybe she's paying a price for the way she is.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I hate it in a book or a movie or anything like that when there is a villain that is 100% evil. Because I don't know that, that absolutely exists in the world really. You know, I don't know that anybody is 100% good or 100% evil. You know, it's it's right. you know sort of a mix of both. And so I like what you're saying about that is that even the villains have human elements to them. I mean, they're, they're people too, right? Even bad
1: guys are people too. What about you, Carrie?
0: Is there a villain you love to hate?
1: Uh, well, I have a favorite villain. I, I teach Macbeth. I really like Macbeth partly mm-hmm. because of what you said about Miranda. He realizes, and and there's a part in Macbeth where he talks about how he's already gone so far. Now he's, he kills, you know, he does kill, but how he's already gone so far. And it's like, it's as far for me to go back and sort of become a, a redeemable person as it is to just keep plowing ahead with what I'm doing. Right. And so I, I sort of love that. That's one of my favorite parts of the play is when he's, he feels kind of stuck. What do I do? Like there, there's no good answer for me. I've sort of gotten myself to this point where I'm, I'm screwed no matter what I do. And so he, he's probably my favorite villain, Macbeth is.
0: Carrie is a That's teacher a too. So I saw recently, the Hollywood Reporter stated that the rights for your book to, you know, be produced for the screen are up for sale. So what is a favorite book to film adaptation for you?
2: Yeah, oh, wasn't that cool though? Hollywood Reporter, that was really fun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> was it was exciting. really cool. <laughs> I have a Few favorite uh, adaptations. Atonement. That one is fantastic. It's just it's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot, and James McAvoy, love, love, love. Shares of Ronin. Uh, yes. So fantastic in it. Stand by Me is my other all-time favorite. Mm. That I I grew up with that movie, so it means a lot to me. And um, Mystic River also, fantastic movie. Sean Penn. One of my uh, former students is in that too. Connor oh, Paolo. Wow. I think Connor plays the the young Kevin Bacon.
1: It's been a long time since I've seen that one, but that one was really powerful.
2: Oh yeah. I just saw an adaptation that's on Hulu. Uh, Fleischman is in trouble.
0: Yes, I, I haven't read the book, but I'm I'm wanting to read the book before I watch that series. But it's been on my radar for a long time. And I really like the actor and is, I'm drawing a blank as to his name. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. Yes, yes,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of his, and that, but he's great in this role. So I liked the writing. The writing was very, very good. And it really was so strong at the end. So I want to work backward and read the novel now because the author, Taffy Brodesser-Achner, she adapted it herself.
0: Yes, that's what I had heard, which I thought was really interesting that she had done both.
2: And yeah. So-, so I would love to read it now and then see how she she went about writing that herself. Make
0: that well, because as a as an author, I mean obviously she she wrote the original book. She created all those characters. And then when you do it for the screen, you have to sort of distill it a little bit because you know you can't put everything that's on a page on the screen necessarily. Right. You have some have of it, yeah. And, and yeah, also the visual is doing some of the work for you too. Right. Exactly. So you don't have to put all those words on the screen. So it would be interesting to see what she thought were the most important things to put in the dialogue and and, and to put uh, in the script to, to make it what she envisioned.
2: Yeah, it, it, I really want to do that as a study because it's so well done on the screen. But yeah, I imagine and I know that you have to, as a writer, you have to trust that the actors are going to do you know, at least 50% of what you want them to do I, or more than... You know, you're just giving them a framework and then they sort of take it to whatever level and interpretation that they
1: want. So have you thought about dreaming like if Creep, a love story, would be turned into a movie? Have you thought like, oh, if I could just pick actors, like, have you thought about that, who you'd want to play different characters?
2: I haven't thought about it too much because I know how long things take in Hollywood. (laughs) So when you're casting young people Mm. in your brain.
1: Yeah. They won't be young. young. (laughs)
2: Right. Yeah. And I'm just so aware of that working in the industry (laughs) (laughs) from day to day that you can't really go there in your head. Well, I even if miraculously, you know, even if they're what for a movie deal today, you can't even cast that in your head because, oh, let's go to production two years from now. Right.
1: Right. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm I'm watching His Dark Materials, which is is like one of my favorite book series ever, and the difference in the characters from just one season to the next, wow, they have grown. They have really grown up. And you you sort of forget that that's what they're going to do. You know, like the last time you saw them, 2 years can make a huge difference between a a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. That can right, be Right, and huge. we saw that
2: we saw that with uh, during the pandemic, you know, we, they shot Stranger Things again, and we just all pretended that they didn't grow.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's
2: like, oh no, it's fine. It's, it didn't <laughs>
1: happen. Right. They're totally the same. Uh, one final question, just for you as a reader: Your book Creep is around two hundred and sixty-four pages, which is is fairly short. It was a it was a quick read. So, do you oh, yeah. tend to prefer shorter, smaller books? That you, you know, if you really wanted to, you could maybe finish them in a in one city.
2: I love that. Yeah. Doesn't everyone? <laughs> 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 Who doesn't yes. love a book that they can read? Do you have a
0: favorite short book or small book?
2: Well, I was going to talk about um, Kevin Wilson because I just read something of his that I really liked. And he wrote a book called Nothing to See Here, which is Ugh, and funny. I love that book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really just punchy and unique and really
0: quick. You were talking about how this book, you had been thinking about it in your head for such a long time. And then you wrote it and it's small, you know, yes. fairly short book and someone could finish it in one sitting for you. Is that like kind of frustrating in a way? Or is that okay with you?
2: I find it satisfying. <laughs> okay. that, um, Yeah, I, it's a lean book that just packs its punch. Mm-hmm. I think that it's got everything I wanted it to be. That's awesome. I'm glad that that
0: you are okay with that. Because and part of it when I was thinking about it, I'm like, maybe she feels the way about it that I feel about Thanksgiving dinner. Like I plan it for days and then everybody sits down and they're done in ten minutes. And I don't <laughs> find that satisfying. <laughs> I find that kind of frustrating. So I'm glad that you don't feel like that. It's lean, but it's memorable and it sticks with you. And so that's yeah. That's what you wanted. That's
2: what I wanted. I write I tend to write really lean books just because I don't think it takes a whole lot to get across what I really want to say, uh, or it shouldn't. It's a slice of this character's brain that shows a lot about her and a lot about this couple that she's watching. And that's all it takes. I just want you to see this one story and see it and feel it really in depth. And I, I got there and I find that satisfying. I don't really need to go on and on and on. And I, I get frustrated when I read books that keep going and don't have
1: to. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Sometimes less is more. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Less is more. Like, do I need to know the 12 colors of the tree? (laughs) Or is it just that it's a tree? Let's move on. Yeah, it's pretty. It's fall. I know what fall looks like. I live in New York. (laughs)
1: All right, well, we are going to now take a short break. When we come back, we're all going to talk about what we've been reading.
0: We are back with Ligia de Penaflor and with Carrie, and we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been reading. So, Carrie, give it to me.
1: All what right. are you talking about today? <laughs> so I, uh, how did I find this book? I don't know. I was Googling, I think I was Googling shorter books, maybe. <sighs> I don't <See>? know.
2: everybody <laughs> likes shorter books. <laughs> I told you. That's I do.
1: <laughs> I found a book called Edie Richter is Not Alone. By Rebecca Handler, and I—I I sort of was drawn to the book because it—it it looks like it has—I don't even know what kind of bird is on the cover, but it's a—it's like a orangish yellow background and a and a black and white bird on the cover, and so I was like, oh, and I think this bird must be native to Australia. So this is a strange book. It's really hard to describe it. What I can say is that. Edie Richter is one of those characters that is really hard to understand. I can't tell too much about it because there's something really important that she does that has a really huge impact on her life. So she's a woman in her late thirties and uh, she's married and her father begins to experience a rapid decline from Alzheimer's. And so she makes a, a decision and ends up moving with her husband to Australia. And when she gets to Australia, things just sort of fall apart. So I feel like this book is an interesting character study. You know, I mean, if you're looking for a book that has, I mean, something does happen, but then you just sort of see how that affects Edie and her life. And and so I finished the book kind of feeling like, this is a book you need to read and you need to have your friend read so that the two of you can discuss Edie Richter. Is she just unlikable or is all of this as a result of grief? And so I feel like, you know, there's a lot there to her character that I really need to explore, but I don't have anybody to explore it with. And I can't say a whole lot about it without giving, you know, too much of the story away. But, you know, sometimes you feel really sorry for her. And sometimes you're like, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? (laughs) So, you know, like I said, it's a quick read. You're interested and you want to read more, but it's very strange. I mean, she does things sometimes that don't make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you're left going, okay, is she just weird? Or is this like sort of a manifestation of she doesn't know what to do with her feelings as a result of watching her father, you know, just his body sort of decay from from Alzheimer's and and become a person who she didn't even know. So anyway, it's called Edie Richter is Not Alone by Rebecca Handler. Like I said, it's an interesting character study, but it is a hard to describe book. Uh <laughs> there you go I don't know what what else to say <laughs> well I love a character study
2: and an unlikable
1: yeah female character. <laughs> so hopefully, a short package yeah th- those are all good things so there you yeah. go well Lydia, what have you been reading lately
2: I mentioned Kevin Wilson earlier so I finished now is not the time to panic which is his newest and it's really good
0: I, I loved his last one, and so I'm all about this one. So tell me, tell me, tell me.
2: So Now is Not the Time to Panic. It's about two teenagers, a boy and a girl who meets during summer, and they're bored and they're both sort of artistic. He's an artist and she's a writer, and they don't know what to do with themselves all summer. They're not popular. They don't hang out. They're just the two of them. And... They decide to create something. Hey, let's make a poster and put it all over town. So he draws something and she's the writer. So she has to come up with a slogan and she comes up with a slogan and they put it on the poster and it goes up. They spread it everywhere and it ends up becoming this cultural thing, not Mm -hmm. just in their town, but like in the world.
0: So whatever they do, it sort of goes viral in a way.
2: Right. Well, it's it's set in the '90s when they're teens. Now they're adults, and somehow this comes up again in their adulthood. And it's like, look at what we we did when we were teenagers, mm. and this is still reverberating through our lives in a way.
0: In some ways, that's kind of scary. That something that you do in your teenage years, and we all know this is possible that that can follow you for the rest of your life. If it was something yeah. bad.
2: <laughs> and I, I'm interested in that theme, and I love the. The friendship that lasts for this moment in time and just that idea of creating something when you're young that has everlasting effects, like you said, mm. which is really fascinating to me. So I love mm. that. Right now I'm reading The Golden Couple, which attracted me because of that title. Mm-hmm. Because uh-huh. of yeah, so I'm into these, you know, watching couples and seeing their lives. And that's by Greer Hendricks. And I'm about uh, more than halfway through it. And it features a couples therapist who lost her counseling license because of her unconventional process. But she keeps on practicing as a therapist now, even though she doesn't have her license anymore. And people still keep going to her because they swear by her methods in helping them save their marriages. And now she's trying to save this one couple. And she has to go through her process, which is unconventional, and part of it is by learning more about their lives in not-so-legit ways. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But it has elements that I enjoy and are similar to to Creep in a way, except she's not as creepy. She's a little bit more professional, but it's an adult book that delves into those weird paths.
0: (laughs) I have heard about that book and I was sort of on the fence, but the way that you described it made me think that, yes, maybe I do want to try it. Is there like some suspense in it at all?
2: Yeah, it doesn't feel like a suspense. It's just that there are mysteries within their marriage
0: uh, okay. that
2: she's uncovering, but it's not like a mystery, dun, dun, dun. Okay.
0: <laughs> I like that distinction. It's a mystery, but not a mystery. Dun, dun, dun. I like that.
1: Exactly. I, I think I'm going to incorporate well, it into my life.
2: Yes. <laughs> I, I have a problem with that because, I, you know, I've worked on Law & Order before. <laughs> I worked on the law & order special victims unit, so I know the difference between mysterious elements and a mystery. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Take oh, it she- from me. <laughs> that's
1: great. That's great. Okay, well Amy, what are you going to talk about?
0: <laughs> so, I think that you know, most book lovers probably have a genre or a subgenre, very niche, that's sort of like their wheelhouse, right? A storyline that they love reading that maybe no one else even <laughs> knows about about them. And so, for me it's like I love haunted house books. I like non-fiction books that take a deep dive looks into particular animals like One of my favorites was about a snail And then this, I like contemporary Westerns. I'm not talking like Louis L'Amour, although I'm sure those books are lots of fun. I'm talking about books that sort of put a new spin on that spaghetti Western that my dad used to like to watch when I was a kid. So the book I'm going to talk about today is called Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey. And this is a novella that was published by Tor.com. And it was named a 2020 American Library Association Top 10 Sci-Fi Fantasy Pick. And so I think I've talked about several Tor.com novellas in the past, and I'm not really a big sci-fi fantasy reader, but I do enjoy reading some of their novellas sometimes because it helps me find maybe authors that I would be interested in reading because I do like to dip my toe into sci-fi fantasy on occasion. But this one is, besides being sci-fi fantasy, it's also a Western. But in this Western, modern society has sort of devolved. You hear characters talk about cars and drones and latex gloves, but those all seem to be something from the past because at the same time, the world that they're living in, it feels more like the American Wild West circa 1880s, but with a fascist bent. So our main character, Esther, she runs away from home. Um, Her father is a minister. And her father has her best friend, Beatrice, hung at the gallows uh, because of a secret romantic relationship that they had. So Esther's father wants to marry her off, but she can't tolerate this. So she stows away on the back of a wagon that belongs to, and I'm kind of putting it in air quotes because it's always capitalized in this book, The Librarians. And so (laughs) The Librarians are this roaming group that delivers books and pamphlets to different outposts out west. But what Esther soon realizes is that most of the librarians are queer, just like her, and that maybe they're doing more than just delivering books. These women are badass gunslingers taking on posses of men dressed in black and rotten sheriffs trying to track them down. So I finished this book this morning and I'm still sort of pulling my thoughts about it together. I enjoyed it and it brought a definite new spin on a Western but here is my main issue with it. I, it did leave me wanting more. So I liked it as an appetizer, you know, for something that I'd like to read more of. Like, I hope that there's a book where that can be like a main meal for me because I'd love to know more about Esther and this band of librarians who are really part of this larger resistance. But it gave me a taste. But like, I want the full thing. I like want it more flesh out. So Um, I liked it. I just want more of it. That's all. So again, the name of this novella is Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey.
1: That sounds like that would make a good, if it was longer, would make a good movie.
0: Yes, you know, it's like action packed and everything, but like I wanted more of the books and I wanted to know more about what the librarian's mission
1: was. And so you didn't, <laughs> I wanted the action with the books, with the you books. Wanted, you wanted the practicality. Like, how <laughs> does this book thing work?
0: <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm hoping that, that she's going to come out with a book that gives it all to me.
1: That's what I want. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to give Lygia <laughs> the third degree. We're back with Lygia Day Penaflor, author of Creep, a Love Story. Lygia, are you ready for your questions? Go for it. All right. <laughs> Question number one, you know some circus tricks. Tell us about them.
2: Oh, yes, I do. I do flying trapeze.
1: How did you get involved with that?
2: (laughs) And what does that involve? That involves climbing a ladder many, many feet high, grabbing onto a bar that moves, standing on a platform, and jumping off the platform holding on to the bar, that moves, doing a trick and making it look fancy and pretty, letting go and catching the catcher's hands that are across on his bar, making that look pretty and easy, and then letting go of his hands, turning around, catching your original bar, and then gracefully coming down to
1: the net.
0: You can't see my face, but I'm sitting here, like, biting my nails
1: <laughs> as you're talking about it. Yeah, I know. My That's mouth all. is hanging wide open. I'm like... That's all it I- takes. <laughs> That's it. That's all. Yeah. Easy peasy. Exactly. So, h- how did you get involved
2: with this? Insanity. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have a dance background, and so... I've always wanted to do trapeze because I figured it's stuff that I could do just up high. And I was right. It is stuff that I can do just up in the sky. (laughs) And it's so fun. There's a net, right? There is a net. Yes. Okay. That makes me feel better.
0: And so the thing that makes me nervous is the whole, like, letting go of the trapeze (laughs) and then having to, like, fly through the air and catch the other person's hands. Because not only yeah. are you having to rely on yourself, you're also having to rely on that other person. It's and just I don't, your life. I know. <laughs> and I, 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 don't, I don't trust most people that much. So <laughs> how do you get yourself to let go?
2: Like, was it really hard the first time to make yourself let go? No, no. I don't know. <laughs> you just feel the timing. They tell you when to do it and you gotta do it. And if you you are forced to because they're counting on you, if you miss that time, it's over.
1: See, I would just be hanging there from my loan. I would just hang there like, well, here I am. The show is not going to go on.
2: (laughs) It's all about timing and listening. So you're doing your trick. And when he says hands, you have to give him your hands. If you don't do it at that second, moment has passed and you know mm. it's, it's it's over
0: it's so it's also a lesson in teamwork in you know listening to
2: somebody else and and all that exactly yeah and you have to trust that they know the right time and they're watching you they see every little thing that you're doing and even if you're feeling otherwise they're, they're right you have to do and
0: it. and honestly i guess the worst thing that can happen is you fall into the net so that's exactly. not that's not terrible.
2: How long have you been doing this? Started like the year before pandemic, so I guess it, I would be going into my fourth year, but you okay. know, had to stop during the whole right. apocalypse. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. It's been a few years, and I just fun. I'm addicted. It. It's my great love now.
0: That is a very fun hobby. I am impressed.
2: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: All right. So your second question, your book, Creep, is somewhat inspired by a song. If you could pick one song from your teenage years that remind you of that time, what would it be?
2: No, I can't do one song. Okay. (laughs) I can do a whole vibe, though. My high school vibe was (laughs) the whole R&B, hip-hop, let me let me give you a picture of like Boys to Men, Color Me Bad, Mariah, PM Dodd. Okay. Okay. Kind of okay. Heavy D and the Boys Fresh Prince era.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Color me bad. Yeah. I listen to them, yep. For sure. Yeah. Oh.
0: I but. I don't know if I'm unusual. I do listen to some yes. music, but I'm like yes. not a huge
1: what? You are unusual. <laughs> Oh, okay. (laughs) What are you talking about? question.
0: (laughs) They say that music is, like, one of those things that sticks with you forever. Like, even Alzheimer's patients, they can listen to music and remember every single word. It's, like, something in your brain that, like, really sticks, right? And I feel like, at least for me, my teenage years with music are the epitome of that. Like, I can remember words from songs from when I was, like, 12, 13, 14, Right, and it's the most memorable music time. I can define pieces of my life by what songs that I remember from that time. So for me, it it would be the the, from the band Journey, like (laughs) "Can't Stop Believing," and like all those songs because I think I was about fourteen when those came out, and they're super memorable to me. Mm -hmm. What about you, Carrie?
1: Uh, well, see, I went through iterations. I went through a heavy metal phase, and then I went through like a rap phase. Yeah, so I'm not even necessarily talking
0: about what bands you liked, but like if it reminds you of that time, like you know, I liked Journey, but I wouldn't call them like one of my favorite bands. But like mm. if there was a movie made of my life, like I feel like that would be on the soundtrack in the
1: background. Oh gosh, uh, probably it would be a New Edition song. Perfect, <laughs> but it it has to be when Albie Sure was in the band, right? And <laughs> so very
0: specific, very yes. specific. Yes. Okay.
1: Because I loved, I'll be sure. So that would be one of the songs. I mean, you know, but then if it was a story of my life, it would have to include probably a poison song early in the movie at some point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very All good. right. Last question. You are of Filipino heritage. Is there a Filipino yeah. dish that is a favorite and is comfort food for you?
2: My favorite Filipino thing is halo halo. Have you ever had it? No. no. What is that? It translates to mix mix, and it's just a shaved ice dessert. Ooh. Oh. So you shave the ice, you put some milk in there, you throw fruit, and coconut, and flan, and whatever other good stuff you have around. And you mix it up. That sounds yummy. That I sounds mean, delicious. It sounds like
0: sort of like a much better version of like a snowball or, you know, the shaved ice that you get in the summertime.
2: Exactly. Sometimes. So I, I'm on a forever search for the right shave ice machine. So if anyone knows the perfect <laughs> shave ice machine to make good hollow hollow, hit me up. I need to know. I think every tropical climate country has their version of a shaved ice dessert.
0: You need hey. those cooling dishes, those cooling yeah. desserts. Absolutely. Exactly.
1: Are you able to find that at shops or restaurants in Long Island? Like a favorite place where you get it? Or do you have to make it yourself?
2: We have a restaurant nearby that does it. And uh, you can also make it yourself. And you can buy like all the little fix-ins to put in it too.
1: Well, my, my son's girlfriend is Filipino. So I'll have to ask her about that. Because she, oh. she laughs at us because we'll get food and We'll say it's spicy, and she's just like, haha, you're so funny. <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> right. It's this not is Filipino not spicy. spicy.
1: Right. It's not Filipino spicy. And so she just gives us the look like, you people don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I want to mention too that in Creep, Lainey Villanueva is Filipino. So if you're interested in reading a Filipino girlfriend, she's the one. There you go.
1: Well, Lydia, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us about your very interesting career and also your novels, including your most recent Creep, A Love Story. Thanks again.
2: Thanks for having me and thank you for reading it. And if anyone wants to listen to it on audio, I have to say that Gail Shallon, who reads for Raffi, is phenomenal. And I think you'll love the audio.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both for having
2: me. This
0: was so fun. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also
1: on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank
0: you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org.